I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, a warm welcome to you. This is The Call, 10 companies picked by you, two expert guests, all in one hour, plus the stock of the day as well. Wednesday, the 21st of April, I'm Nadine Blaney. And I'm really pleased to welcome my expert guests to today's show, here for the full hour, Nathan Samasandram from Deep Data Analytics. Always a pleasure, great to have you here. And for the first time together, we've got Andrew Weiflin from DP Wealth Advisory. Familiar face, my point is these two gents haven't been on the call together before. So it'll be interesting to see if we've got some uh, like-minded views or not. All will be revealed over the next 60 minutes. Let's get to the stock of the day. And this one is very topical. This is Nuix, and it's been a pretty bad day so far for the newly listed company. Shares taking a dive after the company slashed guidance and confirmed it will not meet forecasts set out in the prospectus. So Nuix says that the move is attributable to some of its customers recently downgrading contacts as they weren't being fully used in the pandemic. Now it does say that underlying earnings will be higher than expected. Morgan Stanley for one saying it's a disappointing first half, but it does note that the pipeline of business in the second half is sufficiently strong for the company to reiterate its outlook. But to that point, I mean, we've had something like this happen already before from Nuix when its when its inaugural results did disappoint the market. So let's begin with Nuix with you, Nathan. Does something smell off here, or is it a buying opportunity? I I, I always have in the back of my mind what you say about a downgrade cycle. Oh, yes, um, and especially when it's a float. Um, when you have a float and it's a tech float in probably the hottest tech market in twenty years. You know, they've already set things up for a decent uh, information flow for the next 12 months. If you didn't, the broker should be shot. Uh, so in that context, any, any kind of downgrade in the first six months in an IPO is usually a really bad sign. Chances are there's going to be more problems coming through, and that's what's been proven. Um, it's, a, it's a phenomenally effective um, tool in looking at how IPOs play out. That's why I actually don't look at too many IPOs because the positive news is already in there. All the people who are going into the IPO are going for the flip. So they assume it's, it's a reverse of a used car. When you buy a new car, it automatically loses 30% when you drive off. This is a reverse. You get an IPO, it pops on average 30 to 40%, and you flip it and you made 30%. So you pump up your performance. Now the risk is everyone knows that. And so if anything goes wrong, 
everyone tries to get to the door first to get out. And that's what's happened to Newix. It's, it's multiple downgrades. It looks cheap, but you've got to remember it started at what, $5 something, went to $11, and it's back below IPO price and falling. Now the question would be, is, um, can they execute? They probably will do better because now the expectations would be set at very, very low levels. But you're coming in a market where techs are coming off, and this has got a patchy record at best. So I think things will be, will be a bit patchy over the next six to 12 months till they prove a couple of data points. You don't want to jump in till they actually execute and beat expectations because they are still in the first 12 month period. And in reality, they should be beating the numbers. That's what the consensus view would be on an IPO. So because they're not beating numbers, you wait till they start beating numbers. Andrew, is Matham being a little bit harsh on Nuix, the underlying business? What do you make of it if you're familiar with it? And again, if you think that things will stabilize going forward, that there's value in the business, this could be a golden opportunity. Nadine, I love your optimism. That's one of the things I really admire about you. You're such a happy, upbeat, glass half full type of person. Sadly, I'm the cynic and the glass half empty type of guy. And, um, you know, I, I sort of look at companies that come out with profit warnings, regardless of whether they're an IPO or not. And if they come out with a profit warning, there's a 66% chance they'll come out with another one within three months. And here we are. Um, I note, though, that the white flag hasn't been put up by the company, so they're continuing to... But things are great. You know, it's almost like the uh, the Monty Python, uh, you know, and the uh, I will not let you pass in the Black Knight scene. Oh, it's only a flesh wound. It's only a flesh wound. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I think I want to see a bit more pain here, perversely. Uh, I certainly don't wish pain for people who paid $11 for this soon after it listed. It's well below its flight price from memory, which was 531. Um, you know, they talk about slowdown in, in sort of the legal business and certainly in the, you know, playing the COVID card and working from home and all that sort of stuff. Many of the lawyers that I know, there's flat chat at the moment. So I'm, there's sort of multiple amber lights flashing here for me, uh, potentially another downgrade, which probably would be where I'd be looking at. So at this stage, I am an avoid. Okay, um, I think what I am is playing devil's advocate there, Andrew, just to clarify. Yeah, but just, just to put, <laughs> I do, you are very optimistic. Uh, probably I'm in the uh, Andrew Campbell being, uh, you know, I always tend to... Balance, doubt, people, balance. Yeah, I, I tend to doubt everyone because I don't trust anyone. But you have to put it in context. Netflix uh, just delivered mm -hmm. update overnight. It was actually a pretty decent result, but just about every man and his dog has got a streaming product now. Netflix has got a lot of competition, so their subscribe numbers weren't growing as much. Economies are opening up, so it didn't. And the stock's down 12, what, 11% overnight after market. Mm -hmm. So you've got to put it in context. That's a mega US tech and it disappoints. And this is the tech market you're in. So you're down 11% and you're one of the big five, right? Mm -hmm. Five or six. Now, this is on a relative basis. It's a puny little player, recent to the market, 1.4 bill market cap. It's down 15%. That's, you know, for a disappointing fact, it's actually not too bad. So if you're holding and you're down 15, 16% and you're complaining, don't complain. Because in reality, for what it is, what size it is, how early it is to the market, this thing should be down 20, 30%. So I think the market still thinks the stock is pretty decent and still thinks that people will come in and buy. Um, but I've, I'm in the camp with Andrew. Chances are you're gonna get more problems and the market, you know, at some point will lose interest and that's the time when you're going to get another 20, 30% drop. Mm -hmm. So that might be the one, but yeah, you don't want to pick the turn. Stock of the day is a no-go from both of our guests. Let's get to some of those companies 
that have been submitted by you, our viewers and our listeners. We really appreciate it. And uh, this one's coming to us from Keith. It's DeGray Mining. DEG is the ticker code. Boy, this has come up on the radar a lot. I just had a conversation at the close yesterday about this one. It was a buy from Henry Jennings at Marcus Today. Just throwing that out there, Andrew. I know you guys have a bit of a bromance going on. Uh, so what do you make of DeGray Mining? It's in the gold space. It's a gold explorer and producer. It's recently made a new gold find in the Pilbara of WA. Seems like there's a lot of enthusiasm around this one. Yeah, and I'd be paying a lot of attention to Henry, despite his uh, charm, personality and lack of good looks. Uh, he is a uh, very astute uh, picker of small companies and uh, putting it on Henry's radar. I mean, I, I don't mind it either, but certainly Henry's endorsement would be a strong one for me in itself. Uh, the project is the, I'm just blanking here, the Hemi deposit, Gil, yeah. I think is the one. Is, uh, is the one that's uh, going along. I mean, the share price performance, and I'm sure we'll see a chart in a moment. There it is. Uh, up 200 plus percent for the year and up 137 percent over the last five years. And if we compare that to the market over the same time, market only up 10. So it's certainly been a stellar uh, story. I think it really a lot of it, Nadine, is more around the broader gold thematic. And uh, we're starting to see some rising geopolitical tensions. You know, what's China going to be doing with Taiwan? The Russians, what are they up to relating to oil? Uh, obviously, we've got a little bit of money printing going on. And um, gold for probably September through March just has gone absolutely nowhere. In fact, if you had a chart of gold up, you'd see it sort of recently had a double bottom. But it's just starting to get its act back together. If gold can get through sort of 1820 US, then it's certainly we're back uh, in the races. And I think what you're seeing, and it's not just in DeGray, you're seeing it with a lot of other companies. And in the bigger cap space, you know, we don't mind Northern Star Revolution. All those charts are starting to point back upwards in anticipation of potentially a market pullback, which we're probably just in the start of now, but also that geopolitical uh, tensions as well. So gold as a thematic is great. And uh, in the punting space, DeGray, well, it's not really a punter, it's 1.7 billion, but certainly in that smaller space, don't mind DeGray at all. Is that a buy? It's a buy. Is it a buy sorry, right sorry, now? Sorry, sorry. So I, I, know, I know we have to be very clear. Play by my rules. Here. Thank you, um, Nathan. Thank it's you. a gold it's a explorer. It's not producing. Aren't there better picks in the space? Oh, there is, but uh, I'm beginning to like Andrew. Um, look, it's <laughs> it's a sector we we've been fan of for more than twelve months, um, probably about eighteen months. Um, it has had a, a decent run up, and then it's pulled back uh, with well. The market is trying to deal with, I think the big thematics is about what's happening with bond yields. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to equate that with why is the bond yields moving? So reality is now inflation is going. I think the central banks inevitably are going to keep rates low, try and keep the yield low as, low, as long as they can. Mm -hmm. But in reality, inflation is going to be higher. So you're getting negative yield. So you're basically, for the security of a bond market, you're actually getting negative returns. So go figure. So in that environment, gold will continue to do well. So I think it gets worse. So that means gold will continue to do better. So I think the macro is the main one, as Andrew uh, pointed to. I think the gold price, I'm not into picking specific targets for gold. I just know whether it's going up or down. That's the way we look at mm -hmm. it. And I think gold goes higher from here uh, because central banks really don't have a plan. Hope is the only strategy at the moment. So um, hope keep the interest rates low and hope everything picks up. So I think gold does well. Every gold stock is pretty much doing a similar trend. It's turning around and they're all recovering. Um, and the big caps, we tend to look at the mid to medium, the big to medium size. Mm -hmm. So Northern Star, Evolution, Silver Lake, uh, Regis, which has been beaten up because of the acquisition. I think still that's cheap. And then you get to the gold roads, the West Gold, 
they're all Aussie gold miners. We're not looking at anything in Africa because whenever economic cycles come off the bottom, mines tend to disappear in Africa and especially gold mines. So you don't really want to be there around this part of the cycle. So we like the Aussie gold miners. Now, um, you know, Degray is in the category with Bellevue Gold. Mm -hmm. These are the two that uh, most of the retail investors tend to jump in and push it up. So I think it's a buy. I think the sector is a buy for me. And these are a buy in that context. But I'm one of those people who are, you know, in a very dicey market, multiples are high. I want producers. I want guys who are churning out money. And today we had the update from Northern Star. Mm -hmm. It just shows you how good they're churning out money. Remember, Northern Star merged with Saracen. So it's the second biggest gold miner. That's a big boy out there. So you got protection and they're churning out good cash. So I'm happy with the sector. Um, Degray is your thing for the risk return. Happy to buy it, but I'd probably stick to a bit bigger players. Okay, so I'm going to call that a buy, um, taking into consideration your own circumstances, which is, of course, what this program is all about. This is information only, so you really do need to take your own personal circumstances and uh, risk appetite into consideration and get advice if you need it to your personal circumstances. Okay, now that I've got that out of the way, Tim is uh, written in about Horizon Holdings. Look, we just had an update from Horizon coming through today. Uh, we've got March quarter rail volumes declining 4% compared to a year ago, lower coal volumes mm. offsetting an improvement in bulk volumes. Uh, so it's coal at Mathan, which brings up a whole bunch of issues for a lot of retail investors yeah. and in-store investors in particular. But it seemed to me that the consensus amongst the brokers is that while there's limited growth in coal, there's plenty of opportunity in bulk. Yeah, it's again, it's one of those, it, It's you got to know why you're buying it for. And this is one of those infrastructure stocks. This is one of the few that's technically underperforming where every other infrastructure outperformed because of the yield trade where the yields are so low. Um, and that's because of the fact that volumes have been in decline. Their major player is coal, they got regulatory restrictions. They, they really can't do a lot at this point. And they can, I suppose over time, that's gonna be the replacement is gonna be in the bulk side of things. And that'll gradually improve. That hasn't come through the numbers yet. So it's gonna take a bit of time. Now, what are you buying it for? You're buying it for yield. Um, you're buying for defensive yield in that context. Like for like, I mean, you gotta always look at what's the comparisons you could do. I mean, for me, if I'm buying this, I'd rather be buying something like an airport at this point because you're seeing a bit more opening, travel bubbles being created. I mean, my favorite is uh, Auckland International Airport. So you can get that defensive infrastructure with the yield play in, an, in a business model that's recovering rather than waiting for this to recover. Mm -hmm. So it's time value of money. You're there to make money. You're not trying to be the superhero that picks the turn, right? Uh, so for me, the obvious thematic is the market is beginning to appreciate the transport side of things. There's still questions. So I think that's more on the turnaround. This is going to take a bit more time to come around. So uh, the problem with being is if there's any kind of issues with China and China is actually reducing credit and they are trying to tighten the economy because they're doing relatively mm -hmm. well out of COVID. So if commodity pro you know, demand tend to weaken as they take off stimulus, if that does play out at some point, then coal might come off and we might see less volume and this will get hit again. So it's a much higher risk return play, even though it's underperformed, where uh, an airport infrastructure that's turning around, for me, is a better risk return. This is, a not, this is not a buy for no. you. Andrew, Horizon Holdings, it's got around $900 million of excess capital that it can deploy. Could that potentially be used for share buybacks or you know, would they look for investment opportunities as a company? 
Well, they recently just sold off their Acacia Ridge uh, intermodal um, building site uh, and got about 130 million net. So probably unlikely to be going out and doing any acquisitions in the short term. Uh, potentially some debt reduction might be helpful for them. Um, certainly in the infrastructure space, and I certainly concur with all the comments made so far, but um, I would be uh, looking maybe at like an Australian Pipeline Trust, APA, uh, another one of these sort of defensive 90% of their revenue uh, is actually uh, not regulated, if that makes sense. Uh, so we quite like uh, Australian Pipeline Trust. Nothing to dislike about Orism. But there's a big disconnect between consensus and the current share price. Current share price is, there we go, 382. And consensus is $4.53. Again, over the last five years, lost 4% per annum versus sticking money in sort of a boring ETF. There we go. For those playing at home, I've said it. Uh, you could have got 10% per annum over the last five years just buying a broad-based Australian ETF. So, I, look, I don't mind it. And I also note that the CEO and the chair have both been buying shares over the last 12 months. So that's always a positive inside buying. But I think there are better plays in that listed infrastructure space. APA in particular would be sort of at the top of my list. All right. That's the bonus buy for this half hour APA group, although um, right. Auckland Air International Airport is yeah, also I don't, a I don't mind from... APA, actually. Okay. We have it in our yield model. Um, APA is probably counted to the whole yield trade, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a defensive. It's... Uh, Andrew's right. I, I think, and also it's underperformed most of the other year plays. So. These guys are getting along pretty well today. I like it's, it. We'll see if it continues. Um, but yeah, both not very excited by Horizon Holdings. Let's see if we can get some excitement over Reese. REH is the ticker code. It's for Carl. This is uh, plumbing and bathroom supplies. Doesn't sound sexy, but it could be, Andrew, when you consider the amount of uh, interest in housing that is not only happening here in Australia, but in the other markets that it operates in, including the United States. I mean, you've got to think there's lots of blue sky there. But it have to be, like Canada, you know, great part yeah. of the world. Um, if you, hey, but if you have a look at um, the chart, which we're about to see, here's one I didn't prepare earlier, the chart, there we go. Um, the chart actually doesn't, that chart doesn't do it the, um, the, the full favour. It's just been vertical, basically. That's not the right chart. It's just been going vertical uh, over sort of, the last 12, 18 months, and as you said, certainly a COVID st um, stimulatory beneficiary. Reese itself, I didn't even realise this, Reese itself has actually been going for over 100 years. Yeah. And so, it was largely family held. Like, okay. I don't know if it's changed recently, but I remember speaking about it a few years ago, and it was largely mm. illiquid because of the family holding stuff. Then they yeah, made an acquisition. Then they made an acquisition, yeah. Yep, yep. It's a $12 billion company, Nadine. Like, I didn't realise Reese was that big. It's it's huge. So I like the business. And they've really diversified, as we just heard, you know, 640 branches in Australia and New Zealand and nearly 200 also in the US. Uh, they're not just sort of the plumbing space anymore. They're also sort of uh, infrastructure, if I can put it that way. Okay. Uh, also air conditioning as well. So I don't mind it, but I think that it's probably just run too hard. Like looking at the numbers uh, the PE is 42 times earnings. And if you look at its listed peers, the peers are trading at around 29 times. So it's a bit like Wes Farmers. It's a type of business that's a great business, but absolutely priced for perfection. And any market pullback or any particular issues with the business, you're going to see the price come under pressure. Uh, from my point of view, I'd probably buy uh, Reliance Worldwide, RWC, uh, PE of 23 times and forecast EPS growth of about 17 times. It's still not cheap, but it's cheaper than this. So it's a great business, but you're being asked to pay top, top, top dollar 
in a market that's looking a bit shaky at the moment. So on any pullback, absolutely, but we're at a hold at the moment, Nadine. Yeah, that is sort of the consensus myth and from a lot of the broker reports I was reading, you know, growth for the remainder of the calendar year, potential for bolt-on acquisitions, particularly in the US market, but looking a bit exy. Oh yeah, it's definitely exy. I mean, if you don't know there's a property bubble globally, uh, you need to get out of the rock uh, because <laughs> it is everywhere, because every government has, only has one real strategy. Um, you know, reduce interest rates, try and pump up property Inflate prices. Inflate asset prices. Exactly. And that's what they've done. And property prices have gone insane. I mean, RBA came out and said they're not going to raise rates till 2024. Yeah, I don't buy that. Um, our banks are going to raise rates before that uh, out of cycle. So it, it really doesn't matter. We are seeing that in the US uh, where the borrowing rates have gone up 50 basis points, 50 to 60 basis points in the last six months. So the lumber prices have gone through the roof. So cost of building houses are going up irrespective of what happens with the cost of borrowing. Now, so that's going to curb these things. So everyone's pricing in like, you're going to get the current cycle that we've had going forward, which is unlikely, all construction. And the other play everyone's gonna talk about is the whole infrastructure play in the US and so, and I lived in the US, nothing ever happens quickly. Infrastructure in the US takes eight to 10 years. That's why no president ever pushes it through because by the time it actually happens, they don't get the credit for exactly, it. Exactly, they're gone. So nobody actually, they started and then they go, yeah, yeah, let it run. And it never happens. So I'm not, I'm a bit cynical about most of these things. So in that context, look at the best one in that category is James Hardy, by far. It's top 10 stock in the market, but it's priced for that. Every good quality business that has an obvious thematic is priced for that because the market has a lot of numbers, number crunches running around and they pick these things and they jam it to the future growth. So this is pricing in two, three years of growth already. Now the risk is if one of those growth rates start to come back, gets hammered. Mm -hmm. And Andrew's right, all of these high growth stocks, as bond yields go up, their multiples have to be lower. So they're going to come back. So I'm actually not touching anything linked to property market. Simple reason is everyone knows, everyone's priced it in. So you're just buying risk. You're just going to facilitate someone else locking in their profit. You buy a stock for the thematic that's going to play out. You do not buy a stock for the thematic that's already played out. So there's better plays. Better places to put your money. And in Nathan's words, it's all about making money. That's what we're here for. So let's get to the next company on the list. It's Cardno, CDD. So this is for Manny. Uh, he says that, look, does this company have the ability to maximize any mass infrastructure builds in the US and here? Been pretty flat since the company demerged from Intega few years ago. So I think this is a worthwhile point, Nathan, and I'll pick it up with you because whilst you don't have a lot of faith in US legislators to get infrastructure projects put through, we do have an infrastructure agenda being talked about in the US. We do have plenty of infrastructure projects being forecast mm. and that will likely happen here in Australia. There will be beneficiaries of that thematic. Sure. I mean, this is not going to, when I say it's not going to happen, they'll do little bits through yeah. the time and the, the services guys will win contracts and there'll be more things to go. Cardinal is an interesting one because I've followed it for a while. Management's track record is patchy at best. Uh, I wouldn't say it's high quality business. It's very low quality business. Um, you take the risk for it. Now, the, the beauty of it is, I actually, our models were really positive a while ago for all the mining services infrastructure plays because they're all now kind of diversifying in both space. But, Interestingly, most of the mining stocks have actually been cutting back their capex. So the capex growth, you know, I suppose end of last year, early this year was pretty positive, but that's all gone now. There's 
miners are not doing, even though they're churning out cash and they're doing well, they're very conservative. They're not spending much. So most of these projects, these guys are going to win. They're going to be really low margin and it's going to be tough. So mining services is a one that looks like it should do well. It's cheap and at some point it should, but it's not as good as the, the only one that's done well because of the diversification and the size is Seven Group. That's been the big player and they've just raised money just raised to about more acquisitions. Million, think, yeah. Yeah. So what they're telling you is other guys are going to struggle. When they blow up, we're going to just buy them out. And that's where the sector is. There's going to go through a consolidation phase where the bad guys just blow up, blow themselves up. You don't want to be the bad guy that blows up. So I think it's a tough one. You really have to know the flow and the pipeline. And these guys, you know, in the mining services, you're just working too hard to pick winners. I think it's a tough sector. Infrastructure, yes, it'll come through and they'll get a yeah. few things. Look at Service Stream. It's a classic market darling. When it goes wrong, they can go a long way. So that's I'll a no that. for Cardno. Yeah. Andrew, do you see it any different? Uh, we saw recently, um, you know, this company, the guidance was looking pretty good. Does it all come down to the fact that it's contract work? And to Nathan's point, a lot of it can be done on pretty tight margins. Oh, spot on. Uh, as, as Nathan was speaking, I was just looking at what the margin of, uh, of the business is. It's 3%. So Cardno is operating at 3% margin. So in other words, there's not a lot of margin uh, for error. Uh, we compare it to one of the other companies we'll talk about a little bit later on. It's got a 52% margin. So which business do you want to invest in? Do you want a 52 or a 3? Now, I'm not suggesting that there are any uh, mining services company operating in a 52% margin. It is so cutthroat, they're trying to retain their workforce uh, because they don't want to lose that skill set and expertise for those big contracts that come along. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, we, we've spoken previously about Cynical, the old Leightons, and I've been doing this 24 years now, and two or three times I can remember Leighton slash Cynic going from $8 to $50, depending upon where we are in the cycle and contract wins, etc. So this is the type of business that you want to be buying when there's a bit of uh, gloom about. Certainly their share price performance over the last 12 months, it's up about 170-odd percent, so... It's certainly not a buy at the moment, and I would be cautious on the entire sector as well. Okay, so no. that is a no from Andrew. Okay, Southern Cross Media, Andrew, XSL, recently announced it lost its Nine Entertainment affiliate deal for regional TV, but it's getting another one with 10. Around that time, plenty of people saying that the 10 deal would be less favorable uh, for Southern Cross Media, but let's not forget it's also into radio in a big way, Southern Cross is stereo. So uh, the media companies have been generating a lot of attention because of course they've been through the depths of the pandemic and the cycle has turned. Is it uh, a good time to be buying Southern Cross? This one is for, let me just get the name of the viewer, James. Yeah, James, the PE of 12 times isn't too demanding at all. And noting uh, Southern Cross received about 31, $32 million in JobKeeper money um, so that certainly helped defray some of their costs. They've also been aggressively paying down debt. They've paid down about 50% of their debt over the last 12 months. So perversely, COVID was an opportunity for them to sort of reset their business model. You talk, Nadine, about the TV and the radio. They've got so 76 radio stations and they've got about 92 different signals, as the company describes it. But the other thing they're really hanging their hat on at the moment is that listener app. Uh, because they're quite strong in the podcast space as well. And we all love our podcasts. So uh, I note the CEO and the chair have been buying shares over the last 12 months. And I think from a future growth perspective, as we're seeing 
uh, hopefully the economy remaining open, but uh, places like, say, cinemas, as an example, or travel parks, uh, theme parks rather, uh, whereby they haven't really had an opportunity to be spruiking their wares. This is a chance that, uh, you know, live entertainment, sport, etc., trying to get people back in in a COVID-safe environment, they need to be getting their message out. Southern Cross is one of the vehicles in which to do it. So as a turnaround, uh, I would be buying it. But again, similar to our previous conversation about card, no, highly cyclical. And if uh, for whatever reason we go back into a lockdown or anything like that, you want to be out lickety-split. Is it a buy? That's a buy. That's a buy for Southern Cross. Would you be buying Southern Cross Media knowing the pressures uh, that get put against media companies really consistently because there's always competition, there's always a new technology? It is, um, but you know, it's one of those things that main play obviously radio assets. Um, everyone tells you it's the end of radio. Uh, that's been played out since I started in the industry. That's 25 years ago. Yeah, and, and still podcasts going. are so good. Podcasts, that's the evolution. In This yeah. is the beauty of life. Life always finds a way. Every business evolves to adapt to the changes in technology. Well, good businesses do. They're, well, they have to, I guess. Uh, otherwise, they disappear. And for me, if you look at Nine, who bought out Fairfax, they're the behemoth in the media industry. They've done really well because everyone took them as a default choice for the turnaround in the economy. And so you have to think that things will start to filter down to the smaller guys. Um, the guys who are underperformed are Southern Cross and O-Media. Both of them tend to play to the opening up economy. There's a lot more people on the road. So I saw in the, this morning, uh, traffic is definitely picking up in Sydney um, and people are stuck in traffic. So they're listening to the radio, podcasts. So all of those things could play into it. Um, as Andrew said, there's more people now trying to reopen their businesses. So they'll do more advertising, especially in the retail side, experience retail side, those kind of things. So I think the, the market is good. Markets uh, doesn't have a huge expectations on these guys. The market's trading nearly double the multiple of this stock, so they don't have to do a lot. They don't have to do a lot right for things to go up. So I'd be buying into this one. Buy. So Southern Cross Media will be going into the Ausbiz portfolio if it's not already in there. Sorry, I don't know it off the top mm. of my head. That brings us to the halfway point. So I think it was pretty clear right off the top that the stock of the day, Newix, a company that's in the news today after downgrading its guidance is a no-go. Nathan wants them to see, wants to see them actually execute. It's just too early. He's not keen on these early stage IPOs regardless. Um, Andrew admits that he's a glass half empty kind of guy, but he says there's a 66% chance that when you see a profit warning coming through that you'll see another one in three months. So there's just multiple amber lights flashing for this one for him. It is a no as well. Onto the companies that you like, DeGray Mining for Keith. It's a buy from both of our expert guests. It will be going into the portfolio. Nathan says there are better, bigger names in the gold space, a thematic which he likes, Northern Star, Evolution, Silver Lake, but on a risk reward basis, he still does like this one. And uh, it's a buy. Again, Andrew likes the broader gold thematic because of all of the macro uh, scene that is being set. Horizon is just couldn't get these guys excited at all. They both though offered you other names in that space, that sort of defensive yield space. And that's APA Group. In fact, both the guys like APA Group. Uh, Nathan also likes Auckland International Airport. The one thing that Andrew can say, and you'll know that he does this a lot. He mentions that the CEO and the chair have been buying to him. That's a good signal, but he just thinks that there's better plays 
out there. Reese both say it's a great business,、um, but it has run too hard. In Andrew's view, it's just priced for perfection. He would rather look at something like a Reliance Worldwide in that space. But Nathan says, look, the cycle is changing. The big player, the pure winner. As far as Australian listed companies from the U.S. thematic in housing is James Hardy, but he says he's not touching any companies that are related to that property thematic because it is already played out. We already know what we know. That brings us to Cardno. It's a no from both of the guys. It's operating on a three percent margin. Andrew points out. Can find companies with better margins than that, and、uh, Nathan also points to the fact that it's got a patchy record in terms of management. He's calling it a low-quality business, so Cardno is a no, Benny. And for James Southern Cross Media, this one is going in the portfolio. It's a buy from both of the guys. It is a reopening thematic that still hasn't fully played out, according to Nathan. Not huge expectations to beat. Uh, what it's been doing right now, when you consider its price in relation to the market, and、uh, same sort of sentiment coming from Andrew. Basically, the price-to-earnings ratio is not very challenging for Southern Cross Media XSL. XXL.、Wow. Talking about the portfolio, huge thanks to our partner NabTrade. You know the rules: two thumbs up or a buy from both our guests. They get in DeGray and Southern Cross just today alone. So these guys. Leaving their mark on the portfolio as they have over the past, well, more than six months, nine months. July first is when we've been tracking it from over the past week, up by one and a half percent. Month about five percent, close to thirty-one percent over the financial year to date. We have added recently Globe CSL. Alcidian, I don't even know what that is. I'll、Health、be doing、tech. my research. Health tech, okay.、Uh, National Tire, Wheel and Car Sales. Car Sales, incidentally, is trading active today. If you're wondering why the share price is moving,、uh, if you'd like to see that portfolio in detail, seems like I've got to go refresh it as well. Lots been added lately. Ausbiz.co/forward/slash/portfolio. Let's crack on with it, shall we? With Kelly Partners Group, so this is a listed accountancy firm. We've had them on the program a couple of times. If you'd like to go to the website or the app, you can look up those CEO interviews.、Uh, Andrew, it's done well on cost control. It's reduced costs at the headquarters because it was、uh, treating its clients, I guess, with a bit of kindness through COVID. But when it comes to these types of listed entities, I mean, where does the real growth come for for a Kelly Partners Group? Yeah, it's a Pac-Man, if I can describe it that way, that's, Nadine. You know, it's、um, for the people on the podcast. It's not really going to be helping, but I'm using my hand and just sort of going across the screen, sort of as they're. I think it's a demographic、businesses. that knows Pac-Man. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> Said with kindness. Thanks, including thank myself. Thank you very much, Nadine.、Uh, thank you. Appreciate that.、Um, so they've got the small to medium business enterprises where their focus is. They've got about eight thousand clients.、Uh, they've got around fifty odd partners and two hundred and fifty staff. So. From a, a business point of view, they're doing quite well. Nadine, accounting is a tough old game. I'm、uh, I'm married to an accountant for my sins, and、uh, I can tell you, it's、uh, accounting is a hard, hard job, almost like financial advising. Cue the violins, and、uh, lots of compliance, lots of costs, lots of margin pressure. So really, you need aggregators like Kelly Partners out there, trying to. Sort of take um, the, the um, businesses off these people's hands. They have like an owner-operator type of model. I, I note that the major shareholder, Brett Kelly, has、uh, around 50% ownership of the company, which is great because, as you know, I like insider buying. 
But what also worries me to Dean is that if Mr Kelly one day decides that he no longer wants to be there, uh, you might remember in the early days of Kogan and Russell and every time he sold down some shares, how the market reacted. So it's only a $105 million company. There's only one real broker who follows it. So it's certainly not stirring a heap of institutional interest. So it's sort of crab pot-esque. So it's, you know, somewhat difficult to get out of if you were trying to buy and sorry, if you were trying to sell in size. And I guess that's really what Brett Kelly's problem is. But from my point of view, um, PE of 19 times relative to forecast earnings growth of 17%. So you remember the old peg ratio, you're trying to buy a company whose PE is less than its earnings growth, which is a bit of a joke at the moment where the market is. Uh, it's a hold, it's certainly not a buy. Okay, any differing view on Kelly Partners Group? Oh, look, it's, it's actually a pretty decent business. Uh, we've looked at it a number of times. Um, yes, I gotta agree with Andrew, it's, it's small. Uh, but they, you know, it's acquisition model. I love the Pac-Man mm -hmm. comparison. It is what they do. They just keep eating it up. Uh, reminds me of a few other businesses who do it. But these guys do it well. Um, and I am married to a CPA um, holder, so I know oh. how this exciting this job is. Um, oh. so I feel the, like we've brought yeah, yeah, two kindred spirits together it, it, it here is, today. It's scary. Um, now, the trick for them is it's people are looking for safety and people look for businesses they can understand. And this is something they can understand because everyone hates talking to accountants. Trust me, I'm sure Andrew has the same feeling. <laughs> um, so you get yourself into trouble before you even know it. So we all get ourselves into trouble with accountants. We remember our accountants. They understand what the business is, so they're willing to buy into it. So I think the business looks good. It, it's small. So you're not going to get the big index play where the big fundies come in and buy because it's $100 million market cap. So that's where you don't get the big uh, bounce. I think it's priced for what it is. It's a good business. If you're there, you've had the run, I'm happy to sit in it because they'll probably be, like the broker who's covering them is covering them for a reason because they're going to acquire more businesses mm -hmm. and they'll raise more money and that's what they're there for. Um, other people are probably not going to be bothered because they know this broker has got that locked in. Uh, so they will continue to grow and it'll grind out returns. So it'll be okay, but I don't think you're going to get the big step up. If it gets belted in a market pullback, by all means, jump in and buy. It's a good quality business, but Right now, you're not getting much of an upside for the risk you're taking. So it's a hold if yeah. you have it, not a buy. Yeah. That was for Greg. Let's get to a company for Andrew, Noxofarm, N-O-X, clinical stage drug development company. It has had some positive announcements as of late. Uh, it's got some pre-early, uh, you know, some treatments around prostate cancer mm -hmm. in particular, which obviously is a very big um, addressable market. But again, with one of these companies, Nathan, it's not yet profitable. It's yeah. all about revenue. Oh yeah, it's, it's never profitable. Uh, <laughs> it's never even breaking profit. I mean, not even worry about profits because that's the danger because then you have to actually execute. Um, this is biotech, <laughs> classic play. I, I love biotechs because this is like, takes me completely out of my comfort zone. Um, it's a bit like mining stocks, explorers. You're punching a hole and hope you find something, right? These guys are even bigger risk. They take, um, they're trying to execute something with statistically when they go down a certain path, your risk is deleveraged a bit. But again, so you want to pick them with biotechs. You really want to pick biotechs that are working in multiple different products because usually, you know, very rarely one of them is going to work out. So you want to have a multiple ponies. And if you're investing in biotechs, you need to invest in four or five for the risk that you're taking. You need to diversify. Don't pick one biotech and think you're, you've got the inside running mm -hmm. because the market knows. And whenever you have a pop, that's your first steroid run when the market thinks of all the blue sky that it could be and then it comes off. 
I've followed biotechs for decades and most of them will take a decade to do anything. So they take 10 to 15 years to be an overnight success. So there's a lot of people have burned a lot of money over time to make these businesses what it is. Um, so if people are talking about it, there's a lot of information out there, you're too late. You get into these things early in the cycle when you basically back management and it's a high risk play, it's really a punt. And then you sit at them at the low levels and then when they have the optimism come through, that's when you make your profit and you get out. You do not go into these stocks after they've announced the potential upsides and the market knows about it. This one to me, it's had the steroid run, it'll come off, they'll probably raise money because they have to, uh, to do more testing. So those kind of things will dilute itself. So um, I'm not chasing this from what we know at this point in the cycle, I think the market knows about it. Um, you go in, I'd, I'd say there's probably a cap raising coming and they'll, after that cap raising, they'll come out with the good news. Um, when that kind of starts to die off, share price will come off. That's probably the opportunity to buy. We all love these biotechs for their stories, you know, what they're trying to do. And we, for all of our sake, hope that they achieve success in some of these clinical trials. But, you know, through the years, Andrew, it's just always repeated, but it's a biotech and it's just so risky and it can take such a long time. I mean, how do you choose what biotech to invest in or do you stay away from the sector altogether? Nadine, it's almost like you're reading my notes here. And for those playing at home, Nadine hasn't seen my notes, but that was the perfect segue. Thank you. So part of what we do is we're actually looking at who's involved in the management and who's involved on the board, because that gives you a bit of an idea as to sort of their calibre. So, you know, like Bevan Slattery, as an example, is not involved in this one, but, you know, if Bevan Slattery is involved in something, you take a, a deeper look, given his, uh, his reputation and his experience. So in this particular case, the chairman of uh, Novavex is uh, Fred Bart. So you're probably going Fred Bart, who's Fred Bart. So Fred is also the chairman of EOS, and that's up 35% per annum over the last five years. Amazing. He's the CEO of Audio Pixels, uh, and that's up 75% this year. And he's also a director of Weebit Nano, and Weebit Nano is up 500% this year. So you think to yourself, well, you know, Fred's got a bit of get up and go about him. He's obviously uh, doesn't sleep a lot or doesn't have a life. But what he's involved in, there's been um, some great um, performance. So to me, taking board everything that uh, Nathan just said, and 100%, you know, there's got to be some form of capital raising coming. You see the share price come under pressure. But simply, you know, having my medium term lens, my sort of one to three year lens, following management, following directors, I'd actually probably buy this, but noting that it is a punt and you're backing the people, not necessarily the technology. Got it. So that's an answer for Andrew, a, a buy, but with the risks in mind, and that's a punt. Okay, so let's get to the next company on our list. Always one company that I've got to Google to find out what it does, essentially. I mean, I've got some other sources, but uh, this one is Yoji. Y-O-J is the ticker code coming to us from Callum. Andrew, can I be so bold as to say you might have had to do a bit of uh, digging on this one as well? Oh, Nadine, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Seriously? You know, I'm not across all 2,600 <laughs> listed companies. Uh, no, this was, and as I've said many times on the call, one of the reasons I enjoy doing the call, uh, apart from the entertainment value we provide people, is I get exposed to companies that I may not have come across either. So certainly this was one of them. And doing a bit of digging, I discovered that, in fact, it's one of the top five shareholdings of Thorny Technology. So we talk about our friend Mr Jennings, um, he's also a big fan of the listed investment company TEK. Mm -hmm. TEK 
uh, is basically an owner of uh, technology companies, of which uh, Yoji is in its top five holdings. Um, so certainly that Im immediately sort of put, popped it on up, up on my radar as something of interest, uh, noting that this sort of was a backdoor listing um, from Southern Crown Resources and it's turned itself into a software as a service logistics platform. And they're really trying to leverage off that Asian Belt and Road initiative to the point where they've now got three out of the top 10 uh, global freight forwarders. They're now doing business with um, or have relationships with. It's up 370% over the last 12 months. It has no consensus because no one's following it. But uh, certainly having Thorny there is enough there for me that it's a buy. Buy. And this is, just to clarify, software logistics company um, integrates tracks and optimizes freight movements along logistics change, has entered into revenue generating go live with two enterprise clients recently, two further enterprise clients, um, and it's operating in two countries. So the story gets a bit more interesting, doesn't it, than just saying it's SaaS. Yeah, um, look, I actually followed this stock for a while. Yeah. Um, it is a transport logistics play. Um, it's a tech play. Whenever anyone says SaaS, it always go, I always roll my eyes, oh God, another SaaS. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, but it's a logistic play, so it's interesting how they are playing in it. They've been at it for a while. Um, so it's, again, one of those years of work to be an overnight success. Um, it's getting, a, because of their enterprise clients and market getting a bit more clear clarity on how they can um, monetize their model um, is getting the interest. Uh, look, I, I think it's an interesting play. I mean, it's mainly in Southeast Asia now. Um, and I think the whole perspective of it is how they clip the ticket on different, different ports. So, if you order something, it comes on a ship, then it goes to a warehouse, and then it goes from the warehouse to the mm -hmm. customer, and they clip the ticket in each um, transport uh, clip, so the move. So it's an interesting model. They connect um, existing infrastructure through their tech. So look, I, I think it's interesting. It's very early stage, um, and the big play would be what we're seeing globally is all the logistics companies are being, uh, it's just a consolidation mm -hmm. play going on. So as they prove themselves and become something uh, of a bit more uh, magnitude in the space. Uh, I would not be surprised if someone bigger just comes in and says, look, it's going to cost me a lot more money to build this platform. Why don't I just take you out? So that's the upside for them. Um, but look, I, again, it's small, illiquid. It comes with a high risk, but I think it's an interesting one. I think it's one worth putting a bit of money in. Um, I think it, it can have a big move because the, the macro where they are and what they've done so far points to a better outcome. High risk buy coming from Nathan and Andrew. That is also going on the Osbiz portfolio into the portfolio. We are in a roll here and there hasn't been a lot of disagreement. Not that I'm looking for it, but uh, just interesting to note. Wonder if there's any difference of opinion when it comes to our next company on the list, ASX coming to us from, from Jody. So uh, another one of our regular guests has called this a table thumping buy. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, you know, there was disagreement on that panel over this one, most definitely. So is it in the buy, hold or sell category for you, Nathan? Oh, I think it's a roaring buy. Um, when it got below 70, uh, it was a buy for me. Um, it's a yield stock. I mean, you would not think of uh, ASX as a yield stock, no. but it pays a decent yield and bond yields are nothing. So in context, it becomes a yield stock. It's a defensive yield because irrespective of what happens in the economy, this has got the turnover And point. also value? Yeah, I think it's on a relative, it's never tra trades cheap, but relative to its history, it's actually uh, not bad valuation. It's defensive in the context that if market gets belted, volumes go up and they actually do better. 
Um, mm. So they they actually had a recent uh, update where they actually said that the turnover is good, they're doing well, but the reason the result wasn't great is because of yield. And of course, since then, yields have started to go up. Uh, so I did not expect them to be a yield beneficiary, but they are. So in that context, I think ASX continues to do well. The other side of the coin, and this is you never bet on anything for M&A, but um, you've just had ChaiX get taken out by CBOE. Yeah. Now, ChaiX, my view is they were brought in to give competition, allow ASX to become a potential takeover target. Historically, London Stock Exchange, Singapore Stock Exchange, and a few other people have looked at taking out ASX because a lot of the European investors want to have exposure into the Asian market. They don't want to buy the Asian stocks. They want to play through Australia. So it makes sense for someone in Europe to buy the Aussie exchange to have that trade on both sides. London Stock Exchange has been doing a lot of big things. So they are preparing for the global play. So I think inevitably at some point, they're going to have a tilt at ASX. Uh, and ASX, they're not the greatest on technology innovation changes. So by someone like uh, London Stock Exchange taking them out, they can just roll out their platform to ASX and save as a huge yeah, saving to Yeah, still working on that replacement of chess. Exactly. So I think it plays well. So I'm a big fan of ASX. So that's a buy. Uh, Andrew, you know it's up to you. Uh, <laughs> Nathan did bring up, I like it now, uh, CBOE acquiring ChaiX Asia Pacific. So that includes the Australian and Japan operations of ChaiX. So that is more competition into the Australian market in terms of cash equities, that can't be good for the ASX. Nathan, you're doing so well, I thought, you know, this is my type of guy and you've just killed it, mate. You've just absolutely killed it. Let, let, let me guess, was it Adam Dawes that was the table? Yeah, it was. Guy? Yep, yep. Adam Dawes, mate, Dawes Sean Partners. Dawes, I'm going to have to talk to both of you. Like, seriously, <laughs> what, 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 what are you doing? Okay, well, so let's run through what my, uh, what my issues are with ASX. Certainly Nadine's just raised a great one that you've got a behemoth like the CBOE yeah. uh, have come in and bought ChaiX. Uh, these are not minuscule players. They're going to give ASX a run for its money. Uh, so that's certainly one issue. I think one thing we need to think about with ASX, and certainly I've taken board LSE or con um, amalgamation with stock exchanges globally is absolutely on the cards, like 100%. But we have this sort of national interest test. And I can certainly see... I'd be very surprised if the government of the day actually allowed that the dominant stock exchange player to actually be bought out by a foreigner. So I'd be really surprised, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but I'd be very, very surprised if that was to occur. So certainly I don't think there's that M&A piece. You touched on the technology. Anyone who's been lucky enough to use the new ASX site um, would sort of tell you how great it is. <laughs> and then you certainly, sort of the icing on that little cake uh, and it is a family-friendly program, so I won't describe what type of cake it is, but the, the icing on the cake is that chess replacement piece. They've already pushed that project back 18 months. I mean, we saw what happened to the market back in February, March, when all those heavy volumes were going through and how the system wasn't coping. Uh, I can give you, I've just given you plenty of reasons not to buy it, and the, the little star, the little sort of sprinkle on top, is a P of 27 times for 1% earnings growth. So I rest my case, no. You want to change your mind, Nathan? No, no, look, I'll defend it on the, on the flip side uh, in oh. saying that Australia has a very unique view of firm, uh, foreign ownership buying in when it's... Depends on where it's coming Which side from. of the world that, that uh, deal comes <laughs> from. I think the London will get the okay. The ChaiX coming in was, for me, was all about allowing ASX to be taken out. ASX is 
so bad with technology, the only person who's worse than them is the Australian government. Um, so when they launch anything tech, you just run the other way. Um, ASX has been so bad, I think they just can't execute. But they're, they've got the deal. I, think, I don't think there's anyone else. And Europeans, uh, from my context, they all want to get into the Asian play for the next decade or so. Equities is the only place to be. A Asia is where the growth yeah. is. So the Aussie A ASX, I think, comes into play. So it's the strangest uh, buy I've ever heard coming from you, maybe. I know. I, know, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've learned through time that when everything looks ugly, you've got to look at it because someone else is going to look at that and say, why is that so ugly? Yeah, right. why, what can I do with it? So, but then you also, I sorry, I'm going to push the point because you also said you never buy something based on M&A opportunity. I know. Yeah, yeah, this is not because of M&A. Okay. The macro, where the market is, the risk return on the economic yeah. cycle, this is defensive. So this is one where it's defensive. It's going to keep doing well because I think everyone's going to go into equities more and more over the mm -hmm. next decade. Volumes will go up. Yields going to go up. So those things will improve their numbers. So this is never cheap. It has never yeah. been cheap. But relative to its long-term average, it's actually cheap. So that's the right. relative term. All right. So that's that's a good uh, conversation about the ASX. But we want to get to the last one on the list. It's for Phil. It is Growth Point Properties. Uh, Nathan, I'll start with you because you said you were not going to get into anything proper re property related, even though potentially there's a bit of a turnaround story in this one because of its exposure to office. Yeah, I'm not buying that. Um, when you look at the amount of people and I talk to the, uh, the the timing of how many people are coming back and I was just standing there actually outside looking at Barangaroo Towers and, you know, there were about a couple of people per floor before. Now there's enough. Lots but, of people. Yeah, there's a lot more people, but it's not nowhere near what it was. Is that going to pick up? Most of the people I speak to, they're only coming in. It's funny, people don't want to come Mondays, Tuesdays. People don't want to come Fridays. They're coming in Wednesday, Thursday. So they tend to come in now. And because in Australia, we didn't have the culture of working from home, because of the pandemic, they've realized that actually does work. So I think that'll still uh, meander on for a long period. I think there'll be a lot more offices. Everyone knows that industrial property is doing better. Uh, that's nothing new. You know, the best guy in that sector when it comes to industrial property is Goodman Group. They are one of the top 10 businesses in the Australian market. They're great, but even they are overpriced. Mm -hmm. So I'm not chasing the guy who's not as good. So I always look at the best guy. How is that playing out? So, you know, you look at, uh, you know, West Seven Group for mining services. You look at uh, West Farmers for retail. You look at uh, um, Goodman Group for industrial mm -hmm. property, and they're all expensive. That tells me that the other guys who carry much higher risk and patchier track record should not be trading at high multiples. So I'm not chasing this one. I think the risk return is not in your favor. Phil, that's a no from Nathan. Andrew, do you have any different view? I, I suppose it's also worth mentioning that it has growth point properties, I should say, recently reduced its payout ratio going forward, which is pretty conservative. I don't mind that. I think that's great. You know, the companies that are paying out more than what they should be, uh, that actually scares me. So I, that, that's not an amber light for me at all. Uh, I, I look at the mix of tenants. So 83% of their tenants are either listed or government tenants. Uh, companies like Woolies, uh, Lynn Fox, uh, Wes Farmers, and the government side, they've got both the Australian government and also the New South Wales Police. New South Wales Police is their second biggest office tenant. And uh, certainly don't see the, uh, the police giving that space up, apart from the fact they've got 24-year contracts. That could also keep them there for a little while. Uh, the average weighted average lease is around six years, so that's not too bad. Uh, it's trading on, so they're the positives, but it's probably more of the unknown. I'm struggling to figure out why there's such a big discount between NTA, 
which is about uh, where's NTA? NTA is, I haven't got it here, but there is a discount, uh, sorry, 386 is NTA, uh, relative to the share price, which is 346. So I'm trying to get my head around why there's that discount of NTA to share price. Um, I don't mind it, but I think certainly the work from home thing is, is certainly a concern and it's around two thirds of their portfolio. Uh, and as I said, I, I'm struggling to sort of rationalise that discount. So it's a hold, but certainly it's a quality hold. Okay, quality holds. There's a new one for the, the troops. All right, let's get across some of those companies. Kelly Partners Group, it is a hold coming from Andrew, who is married to a CPA. It's a tough game. Uh, the comes with a bit of key person risk as well, considering the name of the company and uh, who's running it and who holds the majority of the shares. Uh, Nathan, also married to CPA, calls this a decent business. It is growing through acquisitions. The Pac-Man reference that Andrew made brought these two closer together. <laughs> it is a hold for Nathan. Noxofarm, N-O-X. So Andrew's looking at who's involved in management and board. He does call it a buy, but keep in mind that this is a bit of a punt and it's a longer term view. It's a no for Nathan. It's a biotech, big risk too late when others are already talking to it. You want to get these companies pre any significant announcement in the case of any pullback. Not going in the portfolio. Now, in terms of who's behind a company, Thorny Tech, Yoji, the next company on the list, is in its top five holdings. That is a big tick for Andrew. He's calling it a buy. It's a buy for Nathan as well, who's been following this company for a while. He says it's one of these companies that years of work are behind what could be an overnight success. And watch out, it could be a takeover target. So that is a buy that's going in the portfolio. ASX, it is a roaring buy from Nathan. It is a yield stock. He's looking at growth and he thinks it will be taken out by one of the European players like the LSE. He calls it defensive. He really likes this one. He couldn't even be put off by Andrew who had a whole <laughs> list of problems with the ASX, including its tech fails, its website, uh, yeah, it's it's price to earnings ratio. It's expensive. It's a hard no coming from Andrew. That's the only disagreement that we had this entire hour. So you out there will have to make your own decision and get your own advice. Growth Point Properties, it's a hold uh, from, well, it's a hold from Andrew. He says the mix of tenants is pretty good. He doesn't mind it, but it's uh, just not something he'd be buying. It's a quality hold. Uh, Nathan says that, uh, look, work from home is a concern. It is a no for him. He doesn't like the property space in general, just to reiterate. Andrew Veitland, DP Wealth Advisory up in Toowoomba. Thank you so much. As always, appreciate your insights. That was a ton of fun. Thank that you. was good. All right, Nathan as well, Samasandram, Deep Data Analytics. Look, we hope to get you guys together again yeah, sometime. Uh, listen, if you'd like any of uh, the companies that you're watching to be discussed on the show, you can flick us an email at thecall.osbiz at osbiz.com.au. We are on with you every weekday from 12 to 1 p.m. Don't go anywhere. Plenty of news and analysis is coming right up. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.